You know the song, you know the vibe, it is the big vibe with Kevin Ty. And today, as you see, we have another special guest. Uh, mm-hmm. We told you a few weeks ago that we'll be getting some experts in to give us guidance and educate us on uh, topics that we need some, some schooling on. And today we've mm-hmm. presented with the amazing Leslie. Not only is our friend, but he is, jeez, oh, this guy's accolades could be spoken about for where to start (laughs) exactly (laughs) he's our our political expert um i'll hand the floor to leslie to explain a bit of who he is um, what he does and where his interests lie so les the floor is yours hey everyone so let me start by saying thanks to Tai for making me live my dream of being a featured artist <laughs> on Spotify. This is, this is where I want to be. I'll be dropping my solo mix soon now. Like Mixtapes. Half is, half is late Fire. for me. Um, but yeah, I'm a PhD student. I'm currently at the Georgia Institute of Technology here in Atlanta, Georgia. So officially adding a third time zone to the big vibe family. Um, but my true claim to fame is I've known Tyler since we were six years old. So that's like yes, sir. 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to primary school together and then we went to high school together where we met up with the amazing, the legend that is Tev <laughs> and the rest of the crew. Um, so basically my big honor is I've seen these, these, boys blossom into the amazing <laughs> podcast hosts you see before you sure, sure. get you everywhere on including onto our show apparently <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, i'll say that um background dirt i got you <laughs> uh thanks for that les um he's not the first even when we had lisa and katia on they did the same thing they just gassed they us did. they gassed us Hi, much, the hype train is real and I swear, if it's not like a prerequisite to joining the pod, you don't have to say nice things to us to be here. We actually invite <laughs> the people no, on. We have to say <laughs> it's a non-disclaimer as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sick. So, um, Les, in all his humility, also left out that he um, is a vastly educated. He did say he's doing a PhD at the moment, but he's a vastly educated individual. Uh, beyond that, he studied in, uh, started off in the U, was it in, uh, UCT first, moved from UCT, studied in the UK, um, where Russell Brand was lucky enough to to go to the same university as him. Yeah, I did it that way. Uh, so he, he did a, I think your first master's was in the UK, Les, or was that an honors? Yeah. Uh, master's. No, that was a master's. So, okay, yeah, and then... Uh, and then I went Came back. back for a yeah. second master's in Johannesburg. Another one. Another one. And now I'm doing a PhD in international affairs. Okay. So so not only are we 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 hyping Les up, we also just want to say that we don't we didn't just bring a friend on and claim he's an expert. We brought somebody in that is one of our closest friends, of course, but also that we really believe can add some um real value especially to the topics that we have on the table today so i think maybe what we should do is we're gonna we're gonna head right into it with the first section which we call around the world 
So, for those people that listen to episode seven, um, we spoke a little bit about Liz Truss and her, I think our Instagram focused on the fact that we were here for longer than her, but anyway, um, <laughs> and her short, her short um, uh, tenure in office, if that's what you want to call it, um, her short time in, 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 it's Downing Street, right? That's where they, that's their, yeah, yeah. So her short, yeah, her, her short uh, term there. So I think a nice place, uh, before we even started recording, Les did say <clears throat> we did a good job with that one. So we, we do like the compliment. But I think a nice place to start this episode will be um, if we can ask Leslie to, since that episode, we Rishi Sunak has now been um, brought into office. So maybe Les, if you could give us a little bit of context on him, uh, like kind of what are your feelings about him? What is the significance of him as the current prime minister of the UK? Yeah. So you guys recorded when uh, Liz tried to say goodbye, but you stopped. Well, you uh, didn't see that uh, Rishi Sunak was appointed the new prime minister. So I'll update you a bit about him. So I saw this thing and I couldn't believe it myself, but he's the first prime minister who's richer than the monarch. Like, that you were falling out of the that's that rich. Yeah, he's richer <laughs> than the monarch. Jeez. Uh, he and his wife, like, have over a billion pounds or something. Uh, so, yeah, Investments or what? Yeah, some business deals. I think mostly in America. I don't know what they do, but they okay. probably. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then he's the first prime minister of color, prime Min brown prime yep. minister. Mm -hmm. uh, he's of Asian uh, descent, but he is still a leader of the Conservative Party or the Tories, um, which kind of makes my life pretty difficult because I hate the Tories, like my own personal politics. Because <laughs> I hate the Tories, I hate the Conservative Party, and pro business, pro Brexit like everything you would expect from a like right-wing party. Yeah. Um, but I've seen a lot of uh, criticism of him like recently to be, take quite a racist um, tone, like questioning if he's British. Um, yes, I've seen that. And yeah. obviously compared to the ultimate British Boris Johnson, like people are being very racist in their reviews of him. Uh, so yeah. I hate him, but I don't want to fall into that group, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. So, that... um, in terms of his credentials, uh, do you believe that he kind of does fit the bowl um, as a as a PM? Or is it a little too I mean, early to tell? You need to give him um, some time in office to give an yeah, honest I guess opinion. So. I mean, I think his track record, like, proves it'll be much of the same, like same as, uh, same as Theresa May, same as Boris Johnson, same as Liz Truss, like anything <laughs> hopefully longer. Liz Truss had against, yeah, hopefully longer. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe longer. Uh, but yeah, Liz Truss came and took some big economic risks. Yeah. Uh, so he'll probably learn from that mistake and like just play things cool. But yeah. Is he, is he I like, um, is he doomed to failure because of Brexit? Is there, do you foresee that there's any kind of um, policy or anything that he could do that could um, make him actually pull this thing? Because as you heard last week, what we said was that um, all the, the, the most recent prime minister's biggest challenge seems to be making Brexit work. 
is there anything about this guy that you think that he can make it happen? Or is Brexit just, in your opinion, just something that's, it's, it's going to knock the country? Yeah, I guess it's where your politics are. Like, to me, any right-wing conservative leader is doomed to fail. Like, Brexit's a bad idea. So, anyway, it's implemented. And, like, Brexit happened already. So, like, what we've seen now, now is what Brexit is. Um, but I think the real difference is going to be the Russia crisis and okay. what Britain is going to do in terms of um, electricity bills, mm. those prices going up. Um, and like, I don't know enough to know if there is a good way to possibly deal with that. Okay. But I think whatever way you slice it, like it's going to be a hard winter for him. It's yeah. going to be a hard few months for him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, no, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah. with um, there being a change in PM, does that mean that it's time for a new election, like time for voting, or do you know what happens when there's a change of prime minister? Yeah. So the British system is pretty weird because, like, the government can call call um, an election whenever it wants to. I think Boris Johnson was the last one to call one, so they've had one like pretty recently. Uh, but the government normally calls an election either when it's doing really well and it wants to uh, it wants to prove it can win, so it can get a stronger position. And I think that's what Boris Johnson did, did and it was like a big um, victory. Or an election could happen if the government's doing really badly and the um, opposition party like forces the, 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 their hand. And like at the moment, uh, the government is doing really badly and the Labour Party, which is um, the opposition party, has called for an election, but not very strongly. Mm. And like, I don't have anything to um, back this up, but my personal opinion is like they don't really want to call an election now because it's just going to be like if the Labour Party did take power, it's just going to be a disaster. So they'd rather keep it on the sidelines, keep in the opposition for now, wait till the winter's um, passed, wait till Brexit settled down a bit, and then see what's up next year. And I, it's like, I'm guessing that they're hoping the Tories just tear themselves apart. There's so many Game of Thrones analogies that are could just be thrown <laughs> into this whole thing. But um, yeah, no, I think I think I think I think I understand. Like you're basically saying that you think that the Labour Party wants the Conservative Party to maybe hold that L um, because they don't necessarily think that they could come in with the solution anyway. So they they calling for a soft they softly calling for some sort of election only to kind of do the political thing and say, but we did call for an election, yeah. but they don't really, again, this is Les's opinion, but they're not really looking for yeah. it. Okay. That's very interesting. Actually, that, that, that's some, some good context for us, but I think, um, we'll keep our fingers on the pulse with that one. Tev, good luck, my man. It sounds like you've got, <laughs> you've got a lot coming your way. We'll be putting that gas back, bro. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we, we can, um, put a pin in that for the for the UK politics um, another very exciting um, aspect of politics is US politics I believe that there's mm -hmm. an election coming up I think it's the 8th of November so when um, chatting a bit more about US politics could you give us some insight on how that looks maybe um, 
kind of how power is divided in the US, if that's a, a starting point. Yeah. So um, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar, the US system's a bit, well, it's not unique, but it's a bit different from what we used to. So it's a federal system, which means you've got a federal uh, government, and then you've got um, 50 um, states, and each of those states have their own government. So kind of like in South Africa, we've got the national government and then the provincial government, except it's very different here in the US uh, because the state governments have a lot of power uh, to make their own laws, to pass their own budgets, to do all these things. And in July, there was big news from the Supreme Court uh, when they overturned Roe v. Wade and um, moved reproductive rights from being a federal issue to a state um, issue, which obviously gives the state governments even more power. And then just quickly, at the federal level, uh, you got the presidency, um, and then the two houses of Congress, which are the Senate and the House of Representatives. And if you're a political party, either the Democrats or the Republicans, you ideally want to control all three of those things, the presidency, Senate, and the House of Representatives. And uh, currently, the Democrats do, but by like super, super thin margins. Okay. Okay. And um, I'm assuming you, the aim is to control those three things because to make any kind of decisions, you need all three. It's like a majority vote kind of thing, right? Like within those three, two of the three have to agree. Exactly. Yeah. Like okay. each of those things can pass laws, but there's certain rules. And then um, if the Senate passes a law, the House can veto it or like things like that. So okay. to have uh, control of making laws, you need to have power in all three. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So then maybe what you can do. So now we have like a basic understanding of what the, uh, how us power is divided, but can you maybe explain to us like a little bit about like, like what are these midterm elections? Like what's the, what's the purpose of them? What, why are they coming up? What are the people voting for? Like kind of, how does that look? So, yeah, um, as we all know, the president's term in office is four years. Mm -hmm. uh, but a senator um, has a term of six years and then a congressman in the House of Representatives um, has a term of two years. So you have to have elections every two years. Um, and the midterms are uh, what we call the elections between the um, president's term. Um, um, basically, give us a so the now they they voting now, right? You're saying it's kind of like in the middle. What's the significance of this election? Right. Uh, so the midterms are important um, because they give us a sense of how the people feel about the president's first two years. Um, and they also obviously like, because we vote for um, senators, because we vote for uh, um, uh, representatives, like the power in those two houses can change, which means they tell us how much power the president will have to pass legislation in his or her final two years of the term. Um, and these elections uh, are particularly important because they're the first elections we've had since the chaos that was uh, caused by the 2020 um, election. 
Um, and as I've spoken about, it's the first election since Roe v. Wade was okay. overturned. So the state politics becomes more important now. Mm. Okay. okay. Um, and generally when there's elections, we always hear about like swing votes or swing states. So is that also something that is um, a contributing factor in this election? And if so, which are the kind of states that people need to watch out for? Yeah. Um, so the first thing you should know is all the predictions say that the Democrats are going to lose control of the House of Representatives. Uh, this is pretty normal in a midterm that the opposition party um, gains control um, of the House. But obviously, it's still bad news. So like all the focus now is on the Senate because we aren't voting for the president. Um, it's all about the Senate now. And currently, the Democrats only control the Senate by one vote. Um, so there's huge pressure there. And there are three states that we should be paying attention to. Okay. Uh, the first is Pennsylvania, where the race is between uh, um, John Fetterman, who is a Democratic candidate, and Mehmet Oz or Dr. Oz, as he is ah, more commonly ominous. Star, again, is running as a Republican candidate. And Gotta love it. A political yeah. <laughs> okay. so, yeah, so Pennsylvania with uh, Dr. Oz is something we should pay attention to. A very close one is also Nevada, um, where they currently have a Democratic senator, but it looks likely that she will lose her seat. And I can't remember her name, I'm afraid. Uh, but okay. she might lose a seat. And the third important race is here, where I am in Georgia, um, between Raphael Warnock, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who's the current sitting um, Democratic senator, and then a challenger by, na by the name, 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 name of Herschel Walker. And that's currently a toss-up as well. So whichever party wins like two of those seats kind of gains control of the Senate, which uh, is a huge deal. Okay. Okay. And um, obviously you, as you said to us in the beginning um, of the episode, for those people that didn't pick up, you live in Georgia. So, um, you know, you're, it doesn't get much closer than somebody who is as interested in politics and studying in that state as you right now. So maybe what you can do for us is just kind of, let's dive a little bit deeper into the significance of this vote in Georgia. Like, I think what's nice about this kind of conversation is it gives outsiders, we always think of America or US, or we always painted this picture of how the US is like the, the picture of democracy or, um, you know, you, you look at like House of Cards and shows like that. So maybe you can paint us a picture of like, maybe the significance of Georgia um, and maybe dive in a little bit deeper about um, Herschel Walker and uh, is it Reverend Raphael Warnock? Uh, just give us some context on that. Yeah, so I promise I'm not saying this because I'm here, but Georgia is extremely important. Um, and the reason why it's important is because it's um, a Southern state, it's, which means you would expect it to vote Republican, which it usually does. Um, but it also has a huge black population, which as we know, generally votes uh, Democrat. 
Georgia is important because it voted for Trump in 2016, but then it's one of the very few states that switched to Biden in 2020. And that was because of a really huge historic mobilization of black um, voters led by this amazing grassroots um, organizer named um, Stacey Abrams, and remember that name. Um, the second reason Georgia is important is because they currently have two uh, Democratic senators, including Reverend Raphael Warnock, uh, which is very unusual for Georgia. So you can kind of say that it's thanks to Georgia that uh, the Democrats have control of the presidency mm. and the Senate. Um, in terms of the race this year, it's between Reverend Raphael Warnock, um, who's this amazing, dynamic, young, black man. Uh, he was a preacher at the Ebenezer Baptist Church here in Atlanta, which is actually where uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, grew up and his father and himself preached there. So it's got huge um, historical significance. And like in politics, Warnock has done some amazing work at promoting Georgia, promoting the interest of the black community. His opponent, Herschel Walker, is, was a football star. Um, he played here in Georgia and then a bit in the um, in, 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 uh, 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 but he's a huge Trump supporter and friend of Trump, which, as you would expect, means he doesn't have much experience in politics. Um, but he's emerged as this like problematic pro-police, pro-conservative uh, values, anti-abortion, all the things that you would expect from a Trump friend. Um, uh, but he's had numerous scandals in the past few weeks, um, including uh, domestic violence, um, and it's come out that he's had um, two women he was having affairs with get abortions, you know, so people have pointed out a bit of irony there. But considering the CVs of these two men, like, you would wonder how it's so close. And I'm still wondering that too, but it really is close. And it could be Herschel Walker who wins this election, uh, which is pretty scary. So definitely keep an eye on the race between Walker and Warnock. That's going to be a hugely important election that we see on the 8th of November. On the state side, we have a race for the state um, governor, which is kind of like the president of Georgia, sort of. Um, and the current governor is Brian Kemp, who is Republican, very conservative, but not radical uh, like Trump, but very pro-business, very anti-abortion, very... He's done a lot at suppressing voting um, right here in Georgia. And he's running against a woman by the name of Stacey Abrams, who you might remember from earlier was kind of responsible from, for uh, getting black voters to vote for Biden in 2020. And she's exciting. She's young. She's amazing. I actually saw her a few days ago on my uh, university campus. Um, and obviously she's going to bring a lot of good, but it looks likely at this stage that she's going to lose and Brian Kemp's going to win. 
the Senate, the um, state uh, governor race is important because abortion is very much on the table. And Georgia hasn't banned abortion yet, but everyone thinks that Brian Kemp's just waiting to win the election until that happens, which is a very re realistic possibility. Wow. Please, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm curious, as someone that isn't in the States, um, what is the promotion for each of these um, political figures? Like, do you get kind of snowed in by how much promotion they're getting on um, TV, or radio, maybe social media? What are the kind of the outlets that you see a lot of um, these promos being run on in order to try and um, get votes? Yeah. It's been ridiculous. Like, before I came here, I knew political advertising was bad, but I've never even thought it would be anything la la has been. Everything, um, every time you open YouTube, every time you open Instagram, every time you switch on the TV, you just bombarded with these uh, political adverts. And I think... That's what explains why this race between uh, Warnock and Walker is so close. It's just, it's over, like every time you see social idiots, always Raphael Warnock is trying to increase your taxes. He's bringing inflation to the state of Georgia. And it's just like, it's not convincing, but you hear it so much and it just sounds so scary and it plays with your psyche <laughs> in some weird way that it's just, I mean, like, I definitely have a better understanding of why these races are so close having been here. But yeah, it's going to get worse and worse and more in your face, like, as we get to this final week of the campaign. Okay. Um, and maybe a, another kind of segue well last question that we can do kind of for this section is um um obviously those that are paying attention to it will know that um elon musk has now officially taken over at twitter um i know there was a little bit of a back and forth um it almost felt inevitable when he first put his bid in there was all this news about him trying to pull out of the bid and then yeah there was just a whole bunch of stuff but i think now it's official and you're saying now that the social media and um, all these campaigns are playing playing a big part. Do you think something like this will have an effect at all? And if so, what kind of effect should would you predict? Yeah, so um, our South African friend buying the biggest <laughs> social media site in the world. Like, it's definitely big news. It's huge news. I don't think it'll have an effect on this coming election just because it's so soon. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he's fired the CEO, fired the CFO, fired the technical director who was in charge of banning Trump and all those guys after the 2020 problems. Um, so he's definitely going to make some changes. He's going to probably bring Trump back. Uh, like I said, probably won't have an effect on this election, but definitely going forward, like to have... Trump's hate and misinformation and all those things back in our um, social media platforms is going to be bad news. He's a handful. Even Musk having control of Twitter is bad news because he has such a clear personal and business related agenda that to have him 
calling the shots in this tool that's supposed to be neutral and free and fair and all these things. It's going to be interesting. Genius. Well, that's a lot to, to digest. Um, I think this, this session has been incredible. I mean, there's been so much insight that's been given, a lot of um, pointers that Leslie's um, advise us on and it's it's really something that we're going to be keeping our eyes close to um yeah really informative i've loved hearing about um kind of the divisions in um, u.s politics and yeah in real world um know-how about it has been such a, a great experience so that's where we're going to yeah. wrap up this section of our podcast if you are leaving us don't forget to like subscribe um you can interact with us on Instagram, TikTok, we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and don't forget our website where you can find our links to everything. Yes, um, sir. And <laughs> so that's it for section one. Uh, we'll be heading into section two of our podcast. Is the second part of our podcast, which we like to call Getting Athletic. So, as you know, getting athletics all about sports and having come from such a meaty, um, very serious and insightful section of around the world. Now we're going to get into some fun and um, the best place to start is with Leslie's choice. I'm not going to say whether it's a good or bad choice, but his choice of team and in football... <laughs> Uh, we know that this man is a very diehard Red Devil. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to open the floor to Leslie just to give us a quick overview on what he's made of United season thus far, the integration of a new manager, maybe some of the signings that they've made and where he predicts the team going this season. So, Les, um, let's start with the manager. Let's start with the appointment of Ten Hag. What do you think he has brought in and have you seen kind of positive changes in his ideals for the team. But yeah, so Ten Hag's come in. Like, I must be honest, being in America, I found it hard to watch as much football as I did before. Um, but he looks good. He looks like he's brought his own style. He, The biggest thing is, like, he hasn't been afraid to make changes, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, sidelining Maguire, which I think is great, but the bigger one was sidelining Ronaldo, he seems to have done, uh, which I also think is a good idea, but maybe I'll get some more resistance about that. But yeah, he looks good. I'm happy with the signings. Um, Anthony has got the flair, whether that's a good <laughs> or bad thing, I don't know. Uh, Martinez looks great. Like, he's... Mm, he does, he like does the defender we needed um, so yeah I'm pretty happy I must say like the only thing I really because it's been so bad for us for so many years now that I'm still skeptical like I'm still keeping my excitement down so basically the only thing I care about this season is how bad um, Liverpool have been doing <laughs> And like, if we finish above them, if they finish ninth, then that's a good season. For them. All is well like, in the world. I do think we'll finish top four. That's my own okay. biased opinion. Okay, fair enough. And um, are you one of those that are saying that um, you're focusing on your top six where... Well, let me ask you this. How, how, 
how many games are you able to actually watch because of the time difference? Like, are you okay to watch um, games that have already happened or you just only want to watch live and you're keeping up with highlights yeah. and results? Yeah, I'll just watch live games. I haven't watched... Do you generally watch replay? Well, I've actually recently just started because sometimes there's games on it like two o'clock in the morning um if it's yeah, a big game i'll wake up for it um but i'll yeah. wake up for a 2 a.m game if it's a big game um like i did i woke up to yeah. watch us lose to spurs last season oh it was painful but um <laughs> uh yeah it hurts but now i've actually recently started watching some of the games um like after the fact and it, it's actually quite nice i never thought i would do it but what's really cool about it yeah. is when you watch it cold you know the result so you you're able to remove the emotion out of watching the game and you're really able to just analyze what you're watching like you know when even if they're attacking you know they're going to score or they're not going to score and in that moment you can say okay what did the keeper do or what did this guy do or what did that guy do so i'm actually enjoying that part of it um it can be a little bit time consuming to be honest with you but i don't know man arsenal's so good this season i look we've not been that great the last Three three games have been quite tough for us, but we're so good this season that I don't mind. I don't mind watching and rewatching and that kind of thing. Um, we're not all as I lucky think that's as Tevin. Probably the difference. Like <laughs> we still aren't playing well enough that I would be happy watching every day. Yeah, fair <laughs> so enough. That's probably. Um, but yeah, I don't have much of an excuse because, like, normally the earliest games here are at seven a.m., which you know it's not so bad. Oh. Um, so I watched the Chelsea game last week, and that was good. I think we played really well. Like we totally. Well, that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you now. So, are you one of those that is there? Like, okay, you, if you watch the Arsenal game, I don't know how you feel as a United fan. I would say that we were unfortunate to lose that game. I don't think it was a foul on Christian Eriksen. I think United did well to take the chances that they did. I think we played better, but obviously I'm an Arsenal fan, so I will say that. But are you one of those that's like United Trey on Twitter who's gassing United up because of this, oh, we beat Man City 3-2 in the second half? Are you like one of those guys <laughs> or kind of what's what's your feeling on like the top, just the top six? I mean, let's let's remove the beginning, the shaky start out the way, like Brentford and stuff like that. Let, let's remove that out of the way because obviously it takes some time for a manager to implement what he feels, but top... I, I know that you're feeling with the top six. How would you analyze in terms of that? Is it about specific games or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I'm definitely not one of those fans who gas United up. Like, I'll be the first to admit that <laughs> it's going to take a long time before we're anywhere close to where we were uh, in the 2000s. Um, but I don't know, this season does look good. Um I don't know if you remember, like, I think you mentioned uh, Chasing the Sun in a previous episode. Yeah. Um, and, like, when Rossi came in, he spoke about, like, focusing on specific matches, uh, like yeah. the match against New Zealand, all those things. And it probably isn't, but I hope that's what Ten Hag is doing. Because, like, okay. against top six opponents, we've got... Uh, three wins, a draw, and we were beaten by City. So, like, Whacked. if that's what he's thinking, like, focusing on specific matches, get the confidence up, get the playing style right without worrying about winning or losing, I'd be happy with that. 
But I don't think it's like that because that's not really how football works, I guess. Like, yeah, you expect it to perform straight away. You have to get top four straight away. Um, yeah. Yeah, against Arsenal, we were good. You were good. Like, we. No, it was a. It was a. Yeah, it was I mean, fair. I'm, I will say. I will say. I'm loving Arsenal. No, no, no. I think you got a great team. I don't want to jinx anything, and you might hate me for saying this, but I think you've got a really good chance of winning the league. I'm Oof. sorry, Tyler. Oof. I'm sorry. Bro. Oof. Bookmark this. Bookmark this. We're uh, going to come back to that. <laughs> well, then let's ask you, Tev. After your game yesterday um, against, who did you play? Leicester, who actually have managed yeah. to pull themselves together, I will admit. they looking a bit better now than they were uh, at the start of the season. I don't think relegation will be a problem for them, to be honest, moving forward. Um, but how do you feel mm. yesterday? How with without Haaland, like what happens? Like it took some magic from De Bruyne. You dominated like, and I'd say you deserve to win, but give us your feelings on a game like yesterday. There's a lot more reliance on Haaland, obviously. Um, the man being the Nordic robot. Everything generally goes through him um, and you really just need a final pass and he'll likely be at the end of it. Uh, man and game management. Game management wasn't a thing in that second half, man. There's so many chances that were given to Leicester. And I think had they started the game off as well as they ended the game, would have seen a different result. Um, but, you know, j- during the course of a season, you just need mm. um, a tough win. You need to scrape yeah. a win. You need to just get a dirty result and that was it. Mm. It could be one moment of brilliance, like the De Bruyne free kick, whatever it is, grind out the win. So I'll take it. Um, Lots of improvement that needs to be done. I think um, across the pitch, you get people that generally dip in form. um, And you see it, like I'll take Maris as an an example of the past few weeks um, prior to the Dortmund game when it was the leg before that played Copenhagen missed a penalty mm. um, in the Liverpool game could have um, done something and then the Dortmund game missing a penalty again yeah um, so overall I think it's just about man management from Pep's side <clears throat> and yeah. entire team so just ensuring that people are reminded of what's at stake also yeah. uh, being in the position I think of being second is probably a bit more encouraging than being at the top so generally it's the other way around where they're comfortable they can walk a season so it's nice to see city in a bit of uh i'm not even going to call it a trying position but a position that they're not generally used to yeah yeah and i think i I will just say i think i think it's a unique season in a lot of ways um because well it's unique because arsenal's good Let's start with that. That's unique. Too. For, it's, it's been a hot minute since we've been good. And I don't want to jinx it. I don't think we're going to win it, honestly. For me, what I'm looking at okay. now is how winning these games is giving us the gap on our actual competitors for the season. Um, when I see people dropping points, that's all that matters to me. I see Chelsea drop points, I'm like sick. When I see Liverpool drop points, I'm like sick. Those are the things that matter to me. But this is a super unique season with this uh, Winter World Cup. Um, being where it is and how congested it's made the fixtures. So like now in October, I don't know about other teams, we had nine fixtures. We haven't had nine fixtures since the 70s. So, you know, like, yeah, that's just for some context. So like, if you look at that kind of thing, um, and also the five subs um, coming in, I think it's a really good change for football. I really do. I think it's a 
Um, now it's not really about your starting 11. It's about minutes on the board. Um, so I think the management um, is really starting to play a difference. Um, but that Winter World Cup, I think, is making a huge thing. So like Tev is saying now, like you're saying about the City uh, scenario, um, no, no team is going to come through this thing unscathed. I don't think. Yeah. I think um, playing, having a bad game is different. Um, it's hilarious that Virgil van Dijk can hold his, his Anfield victory thing beyond City and then lose it to Leeds. Um, I think that just shows you kind of what's going on with that. But Les, I thought we could also quickly ask you one more question before we move on to the comparison question. With the World Cup coming up, what are your feelings? Who who are you vibing with? Uh, we don't have any squads yet, but I think we have a general feeling. I'll say I think Brazil's going to win. Uh, but Les, what you got? Who you got? Tell us. Who who should we look out for? What's the things? You guys don't understand how big a question that is for me. Because <laughs> I will say this live on air. Well, it's recorded, but I will say this <laughs> in front of all the fans that... Since 2014, I have predicted the winner of the World Cup before the World Cup started. I predicted Oof. Germany, I predicted France. I've my grave saying that. So this Oof. is a huge thing for me. I have to make it three for three. And I still Having don't know. Having said that? Nah, you can't <laughs> cop out. That's a <laughs> cop out. It's such a big hold up. I'm like, actually, nah, I'm still thinking about it. Okay, so I'll tell you, in 2019, after... Uh, the 2018 World Cup, I said between Netherlands and Portugal. And Are I you still sticking to that? No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I expected because it was after, uh, it was when um, Ajax had that amazing season. Um, yeah, in, in the, the Champions League. Champions League with. Um, Frankie de Jong with uh, De Ligt, with Van der Beek, with Depay. Um, and I kind of expected them with Ten Hag, I will say. <laughs> um, so I kind of expected them as a national team to build up these years. And then I don't think they were in Euros. Um, no. I think they've had a great, they've had a great 2022. I think they're unbeaten this year. Um Portugal, I thought, because Jota and all those young guys were coming up, but they've kind of also faded. Bruno Fernandes, you're probably gassing him up. <laughs> uh, I think I think the favourites are Argentina. Like, everyone's saying Argentina, and I get that. Like, they've just won Copa America. Messi's got stuff to prove. But what do you uh, say? got a young... I see he's beating around the bush here, man. Okay, give us, let's make it simple for you. Give us, give us the top four. So give top us four. top four who you think will be in the same. In no order, maybe in a no dark order. horse. Okay, yeah. France, France, Portugal, Argentina. Um, I don't want to say England. I'm not going to say England. I can't say England. Uh, France, Portugal, Argentina, Brazil. Okay. Dark horse. Dark horse. Netherlands. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Very nice, nice one. one. Nice That's one. A pretty good um, assessment of teams there. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I do see um, quite a few of those coming up. I think I read a tweet. It was in a week. They they um, were a supercomputer. Apparently, an AI supercomputer did 
the World Cup. We played through and we had Portugal eliminate England in the semis and it was a Portugal-Argentina final and Argentina won it, apparently. Yeah, According it to seems like sport. things yeah. with FIFA are like fixing it. So it's Portugal, Argentina. Like a Messi versus Ronaldo I mean, showdown. Ronaldo, the, the GOAT showdown. I'd, I'd love to see that. That would be a great conclusion too. This goes hand in what hand with been? our conversation last week about these sports and how we can make them exciting. You know what I'm saying? Like if, they, <laughs> if they're cooking it to make it look like that... Um, but nah, Brazil. I'm telling you guys, Brazil. Watch out, boy. Watch out for Brazil. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm saying they're back. That's my prediction. But I promise you'll have my final prediction before the actual thing begins. Okay, I'll okay. hold you to that. We'll hold we will, you to that. We'll. Did so, you guys see just quickly viewers. before we before we move on? Did you see that uh, Spain has left the Gea out of their 55-man squad? No way. I did not. I yeah, they chose That's five keepers. Ahead, five keepers ahead of him. Five keepers are ahead of him, according to the Spanish name other f- national five team. Other Spanish keepers. <laughs> You're number oh, one. <laughs> so that that's that's saying a lot, man. Jeez. Um, don't forget, guys. We will be doing an in-depth special for the World Cup. Um, yep before obviously before the it all kicks off so just be uh vigilant for that uh, i think one other question i think uh we we want to ask you liz was um having been in the uk and now the us um have you had a chance to go and see any mls games and if so what is the vibe like so not necessarily just the football but the entire experience of going to a game in uk versus us yeah, so I've been to one uh, MLS game I went last year. I saw Atlanta United versus Toronto. And maybe an indication of how it went is I don't even remember the score. I've been to two <laughs> Premier League games and I remember who scored both. Um, who scored and the final score goal of both those matches. Um, yeah, in terms of the football itself, no comparison. Like, MLS wasn't anything to write home about. I think Atlanta United uh, specifically is known for like having quite a good supporter base. So I must say there was a bit of a vibe with like drums beating, but it didn't feel like authentic. It felt borrowed from Turkey or wherever they saw their videos of how supporters should behave. Icelandic oh, clap, like sensationalist kind of stuff, more like more than anything. Like very unauthentic, ungenuine, like okay. very borrowed. Um, and you can like sense the lack of like US soccer culture. Okay. Yeah, because I think we, we touched on this last week. We were saying, um, so in some of the matches that we've seen in the MLS, you see a lot of fanfare and entertainment value, which isn't necessarily all centered around the game so say there's pyrotechnics or something that's happening before the game starts maybe shooting t-shirts at, in the yeah, crowd like, that kind um, of confetti stuff, right? cannons t-shirts that kind good of thing. food did you see some of that because yeah. we know like u.s sports are big on the pre-game we know yeah. um, so for nfl there's the tailgating that happens outside the stadium it's like barbecuing outside the stadium, yeah, yeah. people in their shirts and everyone's getting hyped before the game. Did you see some of those elements before the Atlanta game? 
there was definitely like fanfare from the organizers. Um, I think soccer here is different from the other sports in that there really isn't like much of a culture here. So, so I've definitely seen that sort of stuff for the other sports, uh, but not so much for the MLS and not so much for soccer. Um, well, then yeah. maybe what you can do then is from what you've observed since you've been there. Um, so I, you, if you listen to the previous two episodes, I've been watching some NBA um, and I know obviously met more Americans. Yeah. So I speak to them a little bit about NFL. I've watched a little bit. Um, it's actually a very cool game. Baseball. I, I don't watch cricket, so I'm not going to watch baseball. But how do you feel like what is the kind of um, like American sport culture like um, surrounding things like, I mean, you've got the Atlanta Hawks there. Ice Trey himself is there. Um, so like what's kind of your observation just on maybe not what's the most important sport in in the U.S. or you can touch on that. But just like what what is it? Is it very American centric or how do, how, how is that climate? Yeah, I think. There's definitely a strong like sporting culture here in general. Um, like my social group where I'm at is not really into sports, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask. But I think quite important is like changes where you are in the country. Uh, so being in Georgia, being in the South, football is 100% king. Like, okay. and surprise, well, it surprised me, but that's cross-racial lines. Like everyone loves football here uh, completely football crazy uh, Atlanta itself has a big black population um, and so, so uh, basketball is big but like basketball maybe doesn't cross racial lines as much the way football, football does yeah I would say, uh, which I found quite interesting um, and then baseball I think it's big but um, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series last season which was my uh, big sporting event since I've been here. So maybe much of the excitement has been because of that. But yeah, I think it changes when you're in the country. I would say football is the biggest everywhere, uh, but yeah. definitely in the South. Okay. Oh, you went to the MLS, saying... the, the World Series game, you said? No, 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 no. I, I just saw... Oh, you just felt the high play. Just... Okay, 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 okay. That's but pretty, pretty I, cool. Did I you do two observations about American sports. And Let's go. Your, your um, thoughts about these. So the first observation is actually a quiz question. So oh. I found this thing of, in each state, um, the highest paid public employee. Okay. Um, in 40 out of 50 of the states, the highest paid public sector employee performed the same job. What do you think that job was? So like um, governor would be a public mm. employee, a statistician general, doctor general, attorney general, sheriff. So two, like... two positions are getting paid exactly the same thing is what you're saying? No. No, 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 I'm saying in 40 out of 50 of the... Oh, there's day, one position that gets paid the same, or the highest. The highest, highest yeah. yeah. Oh. So it's like governor, probably. Is paid yeah, the I would say governor or like whoever leads like the... Yeah, something like that. So the answer is the college football coach. What? The highest paid public 
employees. So the first observation wow. is like we don't understand how big um, college sports are. Like yeah, you're not like I March Madness even, and that kind of thing, but yeah, uh, March Madness. Um, college football is huge. Like I would say even bigger than the professional sports is college sports. Like uh, University of Georgia won the national whatever last year. And like the whole city just stopped. Like it was wow. a huge thing. So definitely college sports is important in American sports. And then my uh -huh. second observation is because like in all the sports you have a regular season and a postseason. Um, and because you don't have relegation or promotion or qualification to the champions yeah. or something, I think the fact of the matter is like, 90% of the games in the regular season just don't matter. Like, mm. I've heard it said about basketball a few times yeah. that they just does too yeah makes games you can't follow. Yeah. So like at the beginning of the season, people have an idea who the strongest teams are and they keep an eye on them. And if they start slipping up, there's still a big chance that they'll be fine. But you yeah. keep an eye on them. And then you keep an eye towards the end of the um, regular season to see who will play who, but and then there's the playoffs. Like, that, like most of the games don't matter. And yeah, the postseason yeah. is when like everyone focuses, everyone pays attention. Okay, that's been exciting okay. to me. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I think those two things that you just told us. The first one, I think, is quite cool. Um, that the maybe not that they're the highest paid, like. Um, you know, state employee, or whatever you call it, but maybe it's an indication that perhaps that there's a focus in the right space in terms of like youth. Um, and, you know, I think that's quite, quite nice. Um, maybe if you want to look at it like that. And the second observation you made a hundred percent, I can tell you like even the people that I speak to and what I see, like these games don't matter. Um, and maybe that's why fantasy football and fantasy basketball are so big because it's kind of like it, it, it draws in and holds that interest throughout the duration of the season. I know like the MLS baseball, fantasy baseball, that goes over years, my man. Like you draft a rookie now for your team in four years. I've heard people that do that. That's the kind of commitment you're talking about fantasy here. I mean, I know I'm, I'm, a, I'm at the top of the Griff, whatever, the Greenside Cup at the moment, but I don't know if I could commit to four or five years of this thing, if you know what I'm saying. But that's really interesting. Yeah, that is this big pull in that. Um, I think I don't know if it was recent or previously. We uh, NFL, especially for fantasy NFL, they do like a full-on promo, which is pick me, and then they showcase what their talents are. So if I'm a quarterback, I'm gonna throw it like a K away from a, a linebacker. I'm gonna jump through yeah, a cars, yeah. open window. Kind of things are very uh, exaggerated things, but again, it holds yeah, the, the interest. Point, actually. Fancy is big here. Yeah, like I've seen yeah. a lot of that stuff. Okay. Well, I think that's a very, very good spot to wrap that up. Les has given us all the context on US sports, and we do appreciate that. Um, and if you have only dropped in for this section, remember, we do all the things. We share the love. We like, we comment. All the fans that Leslie has brought in, make sure you're subscribing to the channel. You're doing all the nice things. And we will see you for section three. And welcome to section three of the pod that we like to call What's Good in Your Hood. So essentially this part of the pod is where we get to talk a little bit about kind of where we're living, how we feel, 
kind of just spitballing some ideas about uh, things that are not, uh, <clears throat> you know, like maybe influential to too many external people, but they're very influential to us. Um, and we have a very, very well-traveled individual who has joined us here today. He's done a lot of just traveling around in general, but also lived mm -hmm. in a few places. Um, so we know Leslie's born in South Africa. He studied in the UK and now he is studying and living in the US. So we thought maybe what we could do is we could try and draw a little bit of a contrast between the experiences of living in these places. Um, maybe we can start off with, since you moved to the US as it's your most recent, um, you know, trip or your most recent living situation, what have you enjoyed or what has been your favorite thing about living there or your, your most enjoyable thing? And what has been the most challenging thing since you moved mm, there? Definitely sense the problems, which I think is different from the other places I've lived, but like definitely reminds me of home in that you can see the problems with the race, you can see the problems with politics here. And it's just felt very real. And Atlanta is like one of the major cities um, here, but it's very unpretentious and genuine and just has this like real vibe to it. It's got, also got this really chaotic vibe. Um, Teva, I don't know if you've still been watching the TV TV show um, Atlanta, but <laughs> uh, like season four opens with like this looting of a department store, and like it's just this chaos, and then one of the main characters. Um, walks in and tries to exchange his air fry or something and the shop person is like bro can't you see what's happening right now and he's like oh yeah and that just very much encapsulates Atlanta <laughs> as a city it's just this like chaotic but chilled and unpretentious thing so I'm really really enjoying Atlanta as a city um, the challenges like definitely a culture shock definitely um different from where else I've lived. Um, I would say the biggest challenge, like it's not very profound, but like definitely Atlanta is a car city. Like you need a car to do a lot of things here. Currently I don't have a car. So that's probably big, the biggest challenge is getting to places and doing things. Um, but yeah, I've really loved this year. And um, what about um, like, if you were to contrast the education system that you have like that you're part of. So, you know, you, we know that you, you've been to UCT. Um, I forgot the name of the UK university. You can, so as, yeah. Um, so you've been to UCT. So as you came back to South Africa, you went to bits and now you're at, uh, Georgia tech, if I'm not mistaken. And so those are all very, very, uh, different, um, educational philosophies, ideologies, whatever you want to call it. So have you noticed a, like, a definite contrast between them? And if so, like what, what exactly has that been like? What's that experience been like? Yeah, definitely. I would say like the South African system and the UK system are pretty similar, uh, just in terms of like, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but like the priority is research. The priority is knowledge. Coming here, the priority is much more about output and about producing commodified sort of like 
things that you Capitalism. can publish, things that you can present at conferences. Like okay. it's not so much about furthering your own knowledge. Um, but I've enjoyed it. Like it's definitely given me a different angle to work with in terms of my future career and stuff. Um, also the US system's different from the UK and the South African system because the PhD program includes coursework as well. Yeah. Uh, so I've had the chance to take some courses um, and see how the things work here. Like the university I'm at is also pretty different. Um, it's very America focused, very security focused. It gets a lot of funding from the Department of Defense, which is not something I'm particularly proud of. Um, and like, although Atlanta as a city is very unpretentious and genuine, Georgia Tech feels very pretentious and like uh, trying to be okay. what it's not. Very white, okay. very okay. not Atlanta. So I've, I'm having some problems with the school, but at the same time, I have been able to like carve out the space for myself mm. where my, what I bring to the table has been valued. Oh, that's I have great. Been, work, been able to work on what I want to work on. So I'm happy, but you know, it's definitely been interesting to see those contrasts. Okay. Well, that's nice, man. And touching on that, I just want to ask about integration. So um, Tyler and I have spoken um, quite candidly about integrating and trying to um, create some kind of social network in wherever you're staying. And what's that been like, um, firstly in the US and then previously in the UK? Did you find it was easy? Kind of what were your tools that you used to um, build your friendship circles? Yeah, so I've been really interested in what you guys have been speaking about this um, before in previous um, episodes. Like, I would say... I mean, first of all, my situation has been different because I haven't moved with a spouse, you know, someone um, someone to be there, like, with you as you move, as you find a new place together, all these things. Like, I've been, a, well, not a single man, but I've been by myself on both occasions. Um, but in the UK, when I went for my master's, um, I went by myself. I lived in student housing and it was definitely very lonely. And I think you guys both spoke about how you experienced the um, adjustment period of the first few weeks, first few, few months. And I definitely experienced that. It was quite lonely. Most of the activities at the student house were like geared towards the undergrads and like, which I wasn't. Um, so I definitely went through that adjustment period of a few months. And then after those few months, I had a breakup with my girlfriend who was back home. So that was hard because I didn't really have a social circle there at the time. And then winter hit. And Tev, I'm sorry to say this, but those winters are harsh. Like, it wasn't so much the cold, it was just like the gloominess and the lack of sun. Um, so I had a really hard winter, like both emotionally and just like in terms of the weather. Um, I must say, I killed it academically, so that was still fine. And that was something I could hang on to. Um, hey. And then after the winter, it kind of got better. I made a really good friend. And I think 
that friendship is what definitely helps because it gives you someone to do the social stuff with. It gives you a reason to go out. Uh, and I lived in London, which is a great city. Like, I really, really love London. But I definitely didn't have the best time and I didn't take advantage of it while I was there, uh, which is definitely something I regret. But yeah. But then coming to Atlanta was a different story because I actually have a friend who was here before. Um, so I had her and her social circle. And then she put me in touch with a friend of hers who I actually um, ended up moving with. So I'm at a house um, instead of student housing. Mm. And I've got this bit more of personal. community which has definitely made a huge difference. Like, it's definitely allowed me to make Atlanta a bit more like home, which I definitely didn't do in London. Okay. And then um, what I wanted to ask you as well is, um, since you you obviously, um, I mean, you've always kind of moved, right? So, like, uh, there was the first move, which is from Johannesburg to Cape Town for UCT, where, um, let's face it, you were... Cape Town was a little bit of a second city to you. It's been so much time there already. You had a little bit of a social circle already, so it was a little bit different. So I'd rather focus on the next two moves where you moved to the UK, where you just, you know, painted a little bit of a contextual picture for us, and now to the US. But the question that I wanted to ask you is, since it wasn't your first move to the US, right, did you find that the experience of having moved to the UK kind of prepared you for the experience of moving to the US. So did you, are there certain like little uh, knickknack pieces of information that you had? Like, oh, I, like your cookie job, like, oh, I went through this when I was in the UK. It helped me in this way when you were in the US or are the countries just so different that contextually it didn't matter? No, I think it has helped. Um, like, I think I've been very privileged and fortunate to have lived in all these uh, places. And definitely, like, you get a bit of a checklist in your mind of things you have to do. I would say my move from the UK to the US was notable because, like, I expected my move here to be harder than it was because I was prepared for what I experienced during the UK where things were very hard and I had to... Like you had, had to a choose, tougher skin almost. Um, yeah, exactly. So like moving here, expecting it to be like the UK, but then finding out it wasn't really... And I was able to settle in much faster and form this bit of community much faster. Like that definitely felt good because I was expecting the worst, but I got the best, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think just uh, I've been very lucky in having moved so much. And like um, communicating with your family and now. stuff, was that just you kind of, um, I mean, it's a different time zone, so, but have you, like, what what was that? Is it the same now that you're in the US? Um, like, how, how yeah. has that looked for you? been pretty much the same like i speak to them i'd say once a week maybe once every 10 days or so um but yeah we keep in contact we have the family group like that's been pretty chill and like okay. as you but both no no no, no uh, my family are really close 
Yes. We've got a really good uh, relationship, but like, don't need to communicate about all the things, which is yeah. kind yeah. of cool. I'd also say, um, yeah, I felt more independent here. Like, this is my move. This is what I decided. Like, financially, I'm a bit more independent. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely my move here has felt like a new chapter as opposed to something else. I don't know. It's nice. really cool, man. And I, I wanted to find out. Um, I know you go back home um, every now and again. And I wanted to know, one, has your perspective on SA changed in whichever um, regard that is? And then secondly, having seen like or having attained a worldview, so everything outside of SA, you've now got um, a European perspective because you also um, holidayed in the uh, in Europe. Um, I know you've traveled quite extensively there as well as now living in the US. Do you see yourself settling in either the US, um, Europe, or do you um, think you'll end up back in SA? This might already also just be me jumping the gun, but have you ever no. given that some thought, like where you'd like to I, end up long term? So at the time of recording on this, the 30th of October, 2023, <laughs> um, my plan is still definitely to move back to SA. Um, that's definitely where I see myself. It's where I see my work taking me um, for various reasons. Um, but I'm very much open to that changing. Okay. I don't know how it will yet. I don't know why it will. But I'm definitely leaving myself openness to things changing. Um, I think before I came here, like the plan was never to settle here. And now I kind of see a bit of opening for how that could maybe potentially one day be a possibility. Um, but I'm also very fortunate and privileged because I've got a British passport. So going to Britain is still an option for me. Um, and, you know, Settling here is becoming more of an option for me, but still going back to SA is what I want to be doing uh, and what I'll probably do. And yeah, I was back home um, in June, July. <clears throat> um, and I loved it. Like I had a great time. Uh, the load shedding stuff was horrible. And I'll like, know soon enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putin's, Putin's got your back. Um, I, w I wouldn't say my perspective on South Africa has changed. Like, what I noticed was really interesting because, like, reading stuff from here about South Africa kind of gives you a different impression of South Africa than when you're there. Like, things didn't feel that bad when you were there, even though I know yeah. things were bad. But, like, yeah. I think... From the outside, kicking it is very different from actually being there. And even yeah. when I was in South Africa, like seeing what was happening here, also looked really bad. And then I got yeah, yeah. here, and you know things were okay. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say my plan is to like 
help South Africa. That's definitely not what I see myself as. Um, but I see my future in South Africa at the time of recording. Okay. Oh, that's really, really cool. Um, I don't, for me, I think um, I can kind of uh, mirror what you're saying um, in terms of like, when you're there, it doesn't feel as bad as how it seems and how bad again like you said it is quite bad i'm not trying to say that that the situation is like like uh easy or not easy or whatever i'm not trying to trying to like um you know take away from or add to but i definitely noticed when i was there it was the same kind of thing you i don't know if it's because of south africans that just that lovely um sort of sense of ubuntu um which we've spoken about several times that just that general resilience the smile on people's face i don't know what it is but when you're there and you're in it although load shedding is bad there's no way of look other way of looking at it but when you're there it doesn't feel as bad as it looks from the outside and i do agree with that and the the fact that you mentioned america is also very very interesting in the same <clears throat> breath of air because you know a lot of people have the perspective of america like looking from the outside of like you you just see school shootings that's the stuff that makes the news right like school shootings um like very very hectic racist stories um this almost over sense of patriotism uh this overly this exerting sense of patriotism um arrogance ignorance that's kind of the way what you see from the outside and my short time in america i don't even really count as being there because especially because of where i was in hollywood but i would be very very interested and it's not it's actually cool that you say that because i think it's just it that just can't be the simple truth of it right it can't just be all those bad things right it can't um just be like that so yeah that's super enlightening thanks for thanks for sharing that with us yeah man i really enjoyed that um it's it's so nice to get uh kind of the platform at an occasion where you can be this open this vulnerable with um, your friends and learn so much um about someone that you you know i think you know so much about but there's so many um yeah like tyler said nuggets that you pick up from conversations like this and i think that's a really great place to round it off um yeah i thoroughly enjoyed having you on les big fun uh, man sure you're man you've given us the full yeah um round up about who you are as a person kind of the direction that you're headed in uh in terms of your career but also um yeah painting a great picture of who you are as a person and thank you so much for expressing all of that on this platform and for please do come back join us we thank you yet again for giving us your time your ears your eyes um a reminder on where you can find us it is on youtube it's on spotify google Podcasts, apple podcasts TikTok, Instagram, and our website. You can catch all of our links on our website and we will be seeing you at the next one. We did say that you can look forward to a lot more of these special episodes where we get insights from experts and you get to see kind of the, the great social circle that we have. People like yeah, man. our wives yeah, man. and it goes on and on and on and on. So for me, I shouldn't say thank you. This was a really great episode to be a part of. Thank yep. you guys so much. I had a great time. Just felt like chatting to friends. Yeah, dope one, dope one. We'll uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. And Les, please, we would love it if you join us again. Um, we'll 
have a follow-up um you know we'll definitely we'll definitely want to do something like this again if you're good to do it again i would be honored i've been pushing for the, the, the this for ages so you know <laughs> have to come back we wanted to build a little bit of a fan base. We wanted to to really showcase you, not just in the beginning. We wanted to, yeah, to see yeah. the significance of having you. <laughs> and I think that that can be seen. Yeah. So thanks again, ladies. We can definitely do this soon. Thank you again, everybody. We will catch you next week, same time, same place. Adios. Bye bye.